My name is Andy. I help people live life on purpose. This podcast explores the mystery, beauty, and complexity of life through conversations with an array of incredible practitioners, all of them working at the edge of what's possible for humanity. This is a place for big dreams, bold creativity, and fierce hope. Welcome to the Wonder Dome. If you're inspired by this conversation, and you'd like to see it reach more people, you can help the Wonder Dome take flight by sharing it with friends and colleagues, subscribing, giving us a high star rating, and best of all, leaving a glowing review. If you'd like to go even further, consider becoming a monthly supporter. You'll help me keep the lights on and support a wide range of charitable causes. You can learn more at mindfulcreative.coach. Thanks in advance for helping us inspire the world. My guest today is Howard Prager. Howard is the founder and executive director of the Advanced Learning Group. He's an author, a speaker, a consultant, and a really sweet, generous, kind-hearted human being who is taking a stand for bringing uh, what he describes as memorable, cherished moments into leadership. He's recently written a book called Make Someone's Day, What It Can Do for You and Your Organizations. And he has been since, uh, since he was a young kid, really like living that question of how do you show up for someone in ways that can seem really small, um, really seemingly inconsequential, only to discover that it has a profound impact on someone's well-being and their sense of their self and their relationship to you and to the world. So in our conversation today, Howard and I um, play with that possibility that uh, at least part of our work ahead collectively is the capacity to show up for each other in a way that suspends judgment and sees a real live human being uh, sitting or standing across from us or walking beside us or wherever we might pass someone in the world and noticing that every moment of interaction we have with someone is an opportunity to show up for them in a really generous, kind way. And that that can have a profound impact. Uh, incidentally, Howard is also a very talented tuba player. This is my first, it's not on record. We did it beforehand, but he, he played a piece on tuba and it was so delightful. He is the kind of human who spending time with will make you smile. And that aligns so much with the mission that he's bringing into the world. I'm really excited. We got to play together today. So let's get settled in. <sighs> and hear what Howard has for us. Hi, Howard. Hi, Andy. Welcome. Welcome to the Wonder Dome. I'm delighted to be here. <laughs> Me too. I'm smiling ear to ear because as some of my listeners will have tracked, I often record a, or I often lead a guided meditation just to help both of us arrive. And and uh, you you played with the spirit of that by you have this beautiful tuba, you're a tuba player and it's right behind you. And in the spirit of kind of arrival and centering, you played a piece on your tuba. And that was my first time having a tuba piece performed in or around this podcast. So just thank you for that. That was super fun. You're welcome. Yeah. Yeah. 
I, I might even go so far as to say that that helped make my day. <laughs> wow. Wow. Okay. Yes. I love hearing that. <laughs> well, I'm not surprised that you do, given given the way that you show up in the world and given what you're offering to the world. Uh, I just wanted to share that back with you because I know how much you value the importance of making someone's day. Thanks, Andy. It, mm. it truly is, uh, I think, the four most powerful words one can say mm. made my day. Mm. 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 Has someone ever said that to you or have you ever said that to someone in a way that was really important or meaningful that you could start us off with here? Yeah, you know, this isn't the story I thought I was going to share. <laughs> I, I just posted this on LinkedIn because yesterday was Random Act of Kindness Day. Hmm. I don't know if you knew that. But I did not know I, that. I, I learned that. And so I'm going to share the most random acts of kindness that I participated in. And it was all because of the T-shirt I wore. Can you believe that you can make someone's day through the t-shirt or cap that you wear? <laughs> Unbelievable. So I live in Chicago and I'm a big Chicago Cubs baseball fan. Mm. And our arch rivals are the St. Louis Cardinals. And mm. in fact, two teams should Major League Baseball get their act together and actually have a baseball season this year. <laughs> they'll, be, they'll be meeting in the Field of Dreams game out in Dyersville, Iowa. Mm. And what a what a great teams to match up because the rivalry is just, just a wonderful, wonderful rivalry. And I'm in St. Louis wearing a Cubs shirt. Oh, brave. That is that that seems brave of you. <laughs> I know. Well, the Cubs were in town and I wanted to show my loyalty, but I was wearing one to work out. And I went to the front desk of the hotel and I asked to ask, where's the fitness center? And the clerk of the front desk looked at me and she said, oh, my gosh, you made my day. Now, I'm thinking either you're a transplanted Cubs fan. Um, <laughs> or I'm not sure what I did to make your day. It's certainly not looking at my you know, gorgeous physique is what, what's going to do it for you. <laughs> and, and she said. It's not who the T-shirt is. It's who sponsored the T-shirt. And on the T-shirt at the bottom was the sponsor, Portillo's. And Portillo's is a very popular, uh, fast comfort, comfort food uh, chain throughout the Chicago area, mm. uh, specializing in uh, Italian beef and, and salads and pasta and, and char-grilled hot dogs. And it really is people who like it really love it. Mm. And evidently, she loves it, had but hadn't had it for a long time, being in St. Louis. Mm. And so she saw the T-shirt and it brought back that memory mm. to the point that she said, you made my day. Mm. Totally random, right? I yes. randomly picked that t-shirt to bring and to wear. And she, you know, happened to just randomly come up to the front desk when she was there and able to help me. Mm. Mm. So that's how powerful Make Someone's Day is. It can bring back such vivid memories for people or mm. do things for them that really uplift them. Mm. So that's the randomness of, of it and how it can work. 
but we've got more to talk about yes. about that and so many other things, Andy. Yes. I'm so yes. looking forward to this conversation because you explore so many areas of not just the main things, but the side things and the journeys that we've all taken. Mm. And, and and really in a sense of wonder, I love the name of this podcast, The Wonder Dome. It's Thank beautiful. You. Thank you. It is a place to journey together and to and to help us connect to that journey. Um, so thank you for naming that. And also just thanks for sharing that sweet story. Uh, there's a sense, if I imagine myself in that person's shoes, there's a sense of familiarity that can feel like a bit of homecoming in the midst of of whatever the maybe not always very enjoyable task of running a front desk at a hotel can involve right like i bet there are right. lots of people who don't make your day if you have to be in that hospitality <laughs> industry so just really like a sweet sweet example of that so thanks for sharing that sure yeah so you have a book. The reason, by the way, just so so everyone's abundantly clear, like the reason we're playing with this phrase, make to, you made my day is because you've written a book about that through the lens of, we might call it through the lens of leadership, of, of organizational culture, of just being people together in different contexts and the power of, of this act of thinking about someone else's day and how you can make it. Is that right? Is that a fair summary of the book? Absolutely. We need two things today, or at least two things. We need inspirational leadership, right? Leadership that's really going to inspire and uplift us. And we need memorable leaders and memorable moments. Those are the things that we cherish the most in life. Portillo's, that, that mm-hmm. restaurant chain, that's a memorable moment for her. Mm. She'll never forget that. Wherever she is, however old she gets to be, Portillo's is still going to be in her heart. That's how strong that memory Mm. is. Mm. And think about the things that you um, find dear, Andy, the things that are so important to you. And think about those memories and those memorable moments. Mm. Mm. Someone's day is about creating more memorable moments and for leaders to do so as well. Mm. Mm. So I want to ask what's important about that for leaders. But before I ask that, I just want to really underline like the the place, any place, whether it's the it's the field of dreams or or sorry, I'm I'm not a big Cubs fan, but I know there's this big stadium in Chicago. Is it Wrigley? Is that where the Cubs play? Wrigley right? Field, yeah, yeah, very Wrigley good. Field. Yes. Yeah, glad I got that. I almost botched it, but I got it. There's got it. Portillo's, and these places are in and of themselves memorable for different reasons, but there's also like the happening at that place, the gathering for a meal with loved ones, the sort of shared uh, moments of cheering or groaning when something goes well or wrong in the midst of these games, right? Like there's, there's something happening in these spaces that, that is part of the memorable moment. And it's has a community, they have communal, communal elements to them. I, I sense, does that, does that resonate with you? Yes, yes, I think so. Absolutely. And and they also have private elements, too. Mm. There are things that we cherish. There mm. are moments with a, um, a child, parent, friend, mm. a pet, you know, that just become such special moments. Mm. Um, mm. I can think back to my great uncle and just 
um, some some words that he said, or my grandmother's thinking about my grandmother's house and the aromas, right? The aromas of her cooking, uh, just just are heavenly. Mm. Yes, that's awesome. Boy, a part of me is like traveling off now, and I'm like, uh, you're even just talking about aromas and past memories. I notice a part of me just sort of traveling down memory lane here, which is really sweet. But I think I want to stay with this, uh, what you're naming, which is not just that we need, we all deserve a world where we can maybe feel safe and have moments that we can cherish and remember. And you're sort of standing for that in the way that you show up and, and what you care about. Like you stand for a world where people have these kind of moments in their life, but you're also naming this as a leadership capacity, which, um, I'm not sure that I've ever heard anyone name it, or at least not in the in the very clear, explicit way that you're naming it. That there's something about a leader who can who can cultivate that is being really important. Is that is that right? That is true. Yeah. And in fact, you know, there's so many, and I've got a whole bunch of my bookshelf on insightful leaders and skilled leaders and flamboyant leaders and brilliant leaders. But there's not a single book about memorable leaders, hmm. memorable to the point that some people have said and done, donated a kidney to their boss when they needed it, mm. because that's how much mm. they felt inspired and, and supported, blessed by having their boss. Mm. Can you imagine that? That's pretty cool. That's, That's pretty, pretty cool. cool. Yeah. yeah. I serve maybe, and, and I'm sorry, I haven't yet read the whole book. So you, this might already be in there, but if not, you should check this out. There is um, a company called Gravity Payments, I believe. And uh, somewhere within the past decade, maybe even within the past five years, the CEO made a decision to give everyone a baseline salary, everyone, of 70,000 a year, or maybe it was 75,000 a year. And, and that was in part, like there's research out there that, that at like at this moment in human history, at that income level, you know, kind of above, if everyone, if like there are two adults in your family and they're both making 75K a year, that's like a quality of life in our particular context that's, that's gonna relieve a lot of the financial stress and anxiety that's often present for many families around, uh, around America and around the globe. So there's this research and here's a CEO who says like, I'm going to do this because it's the right thing to do. And also, by the way, my prediction is that our business is going to survive and thrive, but, um, but I don't even really care. Like I'm going to do this. And it was a very radical act. And he was deeply criticized by a number of people who sort of said, this is, you know, economic madness or insanity. But but flash forward ahead, the reason I'm thinking of this story, flash forward ahead now, within the past year, this company is hit hard by the pandemic, as many are, but every single employee willingly took a pay cut. Because by the way, the way he was able to pay everyone 70,000 a year was to cut his salary from the CEO millions down to 70,000 a year. Forgot to mention that. Oh and so God. he took the pay cut and they all voluntarily took the pay cut. As well, they, they came up with a number that said, if we all take this salary for this time, we can ride this out. They're now thriving again. And as a company, they all pitched in to buy him a new car because he hadn't had a new car for years because, you know, he was focused on the company and had taken the pay cut. So, so there's a stuff, there's the stuff, there's a memorable 
leader who did something deeply kind that has made a lot of people's days. Absolutely. That's beautiful story. I had not heard that. I love that. Yeah, this is very, like it's right. It's right in your wheelhouse. So you should go uh, after today. I highly recommend you do a deeper dive into that story because it's pretty remarkable. I will do that because, you know, people do think that the more money I have, the happier I'm going to be. And you and I both know the research does not agree with that. Yeah. But we do need a a minimum, right? And I'm not saying 70,000 is the minimum that we should all have, but we need something to make sure that we're meeting those Maslow needs, those safety and security needs and everything else. And if we've got those covered, we can then go on to do bigger and greater. That's right. That's right. That's the, it's the foundation of that pyramid of needs. And, you know, the number is somewhat arbitrary. It just so happens that at this moment in our society, that seems to be around that ballpark, you know, is really helpful for, uh, for families to have that kind of income. And so that's just, that's the baseline. And we need that baseline for the magic to happen, right? It's very hard to be creative if you don't know where the next paycheck is coming from, right? Exactly. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, mm. So you you mentioned this uh, before we started recording, and it just really it really sparked me. And and I wonder if we can get curious about this insight you're having or this question you're asking about like here I am at this stage in my life. I've done a lot of remarkable things, met a lot of remarkable people, and I've now arrived with what feels like um, I don't know. This is my language here, so you tell me if this is right for you. But it's like kind of a mission statement, kind of a like you know, this is how I want to stand in the world. And this is how I want to invite other people to stand with me from this place of memorable generosity that you're describing. And then you kind of look backwards in time and said, like, who's the person who walked to this, this moment in my life? And, and where did this come from? This kind of uh, energy or force or, or purpose or commitment around being so generous and kind to others. So like, I wonder if you like have a sense of that. Where did this come from? Yeah. Let me share this. And this is a story I tell when I ask people, think back to the first job or one of the first jobs you had. And what did you learn from that? So Mm. I'm going to just put that out there for listeners to be thinking about Mm. their first jobs. And, And many times it's things like babysitting or McDonald's or newspaper delivery or, you know, something like that, that we all, um, that we all got as, as kids. And so for me, it was in fifth grade and I was delivering newspapers (laughs) and I was a scrawny little kid. Also my first job, just by the way, but anyway, really well, perfect. Perfect. (laughs) So, so one of the things I chose is chose the paper I wanted to work for. And that was the Chicago daily news. Hmm. Why? Not because we read the Chicago Daily News, although we did once I started delivering it, um, but because it was an afternoon paper. So I could do the route after school. Mm. Mm. And it only published uh, six days a week. So published on Saturday. So it meant Sunday, I wouldn't have to worry about delivering the paper. So Mm. the Daily News it was. So here I am with the stack of papers, learn how to do them. And then the person from the newspaper delivery agency came and showed me how to do the route. And uh, I grew up in a suburb of Chicago called Evanston. And there are a lot of homes uh, on uh, with like back porches facing alleys. And we, we would go by and he would fling the papers up 
two, three flights to the to the house. And who knows how close it made it to the door, but that's what he do. That's how he showed me to do it. And I thought, well, heck, I'm not going to be able to do that. I think I might have tried it a couple of times, and like <laughs> you know, like two or three times to even just get it up there. Who knows what shape the paper was in by the time they got that. So I would. And this was the days where people could walk up the back porches. I don't know if they could do that now, but I mm. walked up the back porch to people on two and three um, flight homes where, mm. where they had that possibility mm. and drop the paper off. At mm. Their mm. And I got these pink slips every, every day when the papers were delivered to me and the pink slips were either conflict or a complaint. Mm. And so I wrote two things. First of all, I got tons of compliments for people saying my paper is not ripped. It's here when I need it. Um, I really appreciate the way that it's being delivered in the mm. care. Mm. And then, of course, I also got, you know, can't please everybody all the time, right? So the complaints were, what took so long for me to get my paper? That's <laughs> because well, I'm walking up and down all these, all these flights of stairs to drop off the paper at the yes. front or yes. back door, I guess. Yes. You have a so, lot, you're covering a lot more ground than your, than your peers to make this happen. Yes, absolutely. So I did that. I did it for several months and, and earned the money I needed for whatever I was earning it for, but it was a great experience and a great learning lesson on people and trying to do the right thing. Mm. Mm. What do you think? I mean, you sort of said, playfully like oh i can't i can't throw the paper that far but there it, it seems like it was more than that there was some some impulse you had as a young kid to make that journey every day up and down those stairs like what are you what are you in touch with around that yeah i i don't know uh i'm, I'm trying to remember and andy I, I i truly can't but i do think that some of the times i did get tips from people yeah for the yeah. paper to the door yeah i'm, I'm sure i did and so maybe it's part of that is that, oh, I get a little bonus or I even just them saying thank you and being appreciative of it was was an uh, intrinsic bonus. Right. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm sure some of those things reflected on my continued desire to walk up and down the stairs rather than practice my throwing, uh, throwing <laughs> arm. and ballast. Yeah. Yeah, beautiful. It certainly didn't hurt, I, I bet. And I and I just have an instinct that there is some there's something in you before you walk up that first flight of stairs that said there's this is there's this is this is the right way to do this, or this is the this is the way I'm gonna do this. There's something about that that feels really true to the, you know, you and I haven't interacted a ton, but we now have interacted a bit and it feels very true to the Howard that I, I know now that you would be the person who's doing that. So it's really neat yeah. to see that through line. Yeah. I, I'm always trying to do doing the, always trying to do the right thing is I mm. guess what I'll say. Mm. 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 What, what is right. And what is right for others, not just right for me, but what's right for others. Mm. And, and so what is that? I mean, we sort of, I shared the gravity payments example. Maybe you have some other stories as well. I know you have some other stories as well. Like if I'm someone either who is formerly a leader, I have a role that says like, you know, you're the, you're the executive here, you're a person in charge, you're the manager, 
or if I'm just someone who has a sense that I want to make a difference in my community uh, or in my volunteer organization or kind of pick, pick the context. But what does that actually look like for me to be a leader who leads from this kind of generosity that you're describing? So I'm going to share the story with you about Connie. Connie was a manager in a library. And every day, Connie saw Phyllis. Mm. I just say very quickly, librarians, as far as I'm concerned, are some of the most important leaders in our society. So I love that you're bringing in librarians. They've, they I've truly a lot are. They really they truly are. are. Thanks. Yeah. yeah. Um, but we also know that in libraries, you get the kind of homeless, lost souls, big people who like will come and sit there all day. And that was Phyllis. Mm. Phyllis would sit there, um, come into the library, put her stuff down and just sit. And Connie somehow knew that Phyllis lived alone, that she really didn't have any friends, right? She's coming and spending every day at the library uh, for a reason, to get out of the weather, to just be there to read. I'm not sure, but she had a hard life and wasn't well off. Mm. That's Mm. why she was coming to the library every day. To the rest of the library staff, Phyllis is a crotchety old lady and nuisance, right? Oh, man, can't we get rid of Phyllis? Um, She seems bitter. She seems unpleasant. Just her aura around her just Mm. brings us down. But to Connie, Phyllis was someone who desperately needed to have her day made. Mm. So Connie found out that Phyllis's 80th birthday was coming up, and she wanted to see if she could connect with Phyllis by providing a little dignity and celebration. So she organized a surprise birthday party for her with library staff. Mm. Now, can you imagine how the library staff would be feeling about this? It's like, what the heck are you thinking? And you want me... And you're asking for some donations? You're out of your mind, Connie. This is not going to work. Why would you want to do this? You know, let's just get rid of her. Why? Why? Why do this? Um, so, so they really wondered. Um, but she, Connie, reserved the meeting room, ordered a cake, um, and, and they even reluctantly gave a little money to buy some some small little presents for Phyllis. Mm. So. But she was a thorn in their side, right? She was just not the example of this gleaming, beautiful place of knowledge and wonder that a library can be. Mm. So, all right. So Phyllis comes in this day. And she usually did so at 10 a.m. And a few minutes afterwards, Connie came over to her and said, Phyllis, I need you to come with me. And Phyllis like, yeah, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm sitting right here. And Connie said, Phyllis, you need to come with me. I've got to show you something. It's in the conference room. And she's like, I don't want to do this. Yeah, this is not. But all right, I'll do it. So (laughs) Phyllis gets up. She walks over with Connie. Connie has her open the door. And the library people yelled surprise. Phyllis broke down immediately. 
whether she had ever had a birthday party or ever had one as an adult, she certainly did not get any positive attention or, or reinforcement that we all need and appreciate, yeah. just the sense of being a human. So um, the decoration, cakes, presents, and attention were all she could ever ask for. Phyllis was a totally different person afterward, came into the library every morning with a bright smile. Mm. Mm. The staff loved having her there. And they started having chats with her and, and helped her and even learned some more background and knowledge that Phyllis had that they never realized. Connie was thrilled it all worked out. And she keeps photos of that event on her phone to remind herself not to prejudge others that everyone's got a story. Mm. Mm. Amen, Connie. <laughs> That's a librarian for you right there. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, I'm really, what I'm in touch with, I'm in touch with a lot in that story, but I'm in touch with, in particular, the way in which that reminder that Connie carries not to assume or prejudge someone creates this wonderful possibility for everyone, right? So of course, Phyllis, like, you know, yes, libraries can be these, these beautiful places of knowledge and you're supposed to be quiet and everything's supposed to be organized, but gosh, darn it. Like it's also a place where someone, anyone can just go and sit for a couple hours. And, you know, that sort of, um, way in which our, our ideas about who someone is can actually make them retreat even more and kind of like, no, I don't want to go in that room. Like, who are you? What's going on? There's not something right here. You know, and for Connie to just say, trust me. And hey, everyone else, trust me. This is the thing to do. And at the, at, like coming out of that, this wonderful, in one gesture, this wonderful doorway opens for knowing Phyllis more as a full person and for her to see herself as really at home in this library and to know the staff and become friends and companions with all of them. I mean, that just, Connie gave everyone a remarkable gift by giving Phyllis that gift. Yes. And can you imagine, I, I didn't ask, talk to Connie about this, but can you imagine how Phyllis came into the library the next day? Oh, yeah. I don't think she just plopped her bags down, right? <laughs> I think she came in with a smile and a song in her heart and she put things down slowly, quietly, and carefully. Mm. And I think she had a whole different relationship with the library. Instead of just a sanctuary away from the weather or her living arrangement or whatever it is, it all of a sudden became a place to go to, not a place to escape from. Yeah, beautiful. Really, like the whole place transformed, despite maybe visibly, if you've just walked in the door and you didn't know the context, it would just look like any library, but it had entirely transformed through this act. Yes. I see. Yeah. So um, when you do, when you actually, when you work with organizational leaders who, like, I'm noticing a part of me that's like, okay, Howard, that's so sweet. And of course, like a librarian should do that because library, libraries are public places. and but Howard, like I have a business to run and um, have you looked around? Like it's a pandemic, like supply chains are a mess. And uh, like, you know, all this, there's all this stuff in the news about how leaders need to be more, you know, sensitive or compassionate or we're the problem. But like, 
Howard, I'm just trying to like get through the goddamn day. And you tell me I need to like be like Connie. Where's the bottom line, man? So how do you, like, how do you, how do you engage with someone who's inhabiting that energy around? The right. Country? Right. I, I know I've got, I've got an MBA. I, I know the purpose of a business and what you're trying to do and how hard it is today, especially as people are working um, remotely or hybrid. We've got yeah. the great resignation going on. COVID keeps coming, going, going up and down, mask on, mask off. I almost feel like it's the karate kid, you know, wax on, <laughs> wax off, mask on, mask off. Um, it's just kind of crazy. very disorienting. Yeah. It is disorienting. So what we need to do is that our managers and leaders need to believe in the people that they have. And if they do something to make their day, and they know them, right? Because they're their bosses. We hope they know them and know what's important to them and know when something's not right with them. They make their day. The increases they get in motivation, in productivity, and in retention, which are three keys that managers focus on so much, motivation, productivity, and retention, that they'll see that this is an investment in having a stronger uh, relationship with their people mm. and a more mm. effective workforce. Mm. 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 Yeah. You know, a long time ago, I think I, I probably looking back made myself pretty unemployable in a conventional context <laughs> and I'm happy by that. But part of the reason I'm happy by that is because, and I, and I will also like, I won't get into the details. There are lots of responsibility I have in this, but just, but there are ways in which we show up in organizations, right? And maybe, maybe just to use the Phyllis Connie analogy, like, like if I'm Phyllis and I don't think you value me, I'm not going to show up in a valuable way. And then you're going to look at me and go, see, you're not valuable. And I'm going to go, see, you don't value me. And that sort of that, like the way in which that feedback loop very quickly is self-fulfilling. Right. And, and what you're pointing to is like, essentially like, Hey, we have to find ways to break these feedback loops because you will likely discover in the people who are already in the chairs that you need people in have everything that, that they need and you need to make your business thrive. That's probably true. And if it's not, at least you and that person can part like in a way that's really high integrity. But likely it's right there. You don't have to go looking out for some new fancy thing. It's like break the feedback loop, find the real person, be the real person and see what happens. Absolutely. There's also a bonus. How about getting a bonus for yourself? I call it the boomerang effect. Mm. And for the listeners, I'm holding up a boomerang and showing it to Andy. Gorgeous. Because, yeah, it really is. I, I never had one before, before writing this book. And then I saw it at a store and I said, I've got to have it. <laughs> yeah. So the boomerang effect is your mirror neurons shoot off when someone is feeling excitement or joy. Mm. And so if I've done something, Andy, that causes you to say, you made my day, those words and seeing your feelings in turn make my day. Mm. This is a win-win relationship. Someone, you make someone stay, those words 
really come back to you. Let me tell you a quick story of how that first happened to me. Or first when I realized, you know, it was one of those things that bumps the head that I should have said, I've done this all my life. What's taken me so long to really realize this? <laughs> yeah. So I'm commuting downtown Chicago by train and getting to the train station early. So it's like 6.20, 6.30 in the morning. And I'm at the train and a girl comes in or comes in, comes up with a clipboard. Would you mind signing this petition? All right, I'll sign the petition. You know, as I'm taking it from her, I say, what's it for? She said, trying to get someone on the ballot for election. We need X number of signatures from people in the community. I said, okay, I'm in the community. I'll sign it. Can you tell me who it is? It was someone I heard of. Didn't know which party they were in, but I had heard of them. So I thought, okay, let's get them on, on the ballot. So I signed it. I gave the clipboard back to her. And she looked at me with the biggest eyes. And she said, oh, my gosh, you made my day. And those words resonated with me the whole train ride down and all day long. Hmm. I'm generally a positive up person, but that just boosted me into the clouds. I couldn't hmm. believe it. Hmm. I said, all I did was sign a petition hmm. and that made her day. Hmm. And what I always wonder is what's the backstory? Had she asked other people and been turned down? Was this the first time that she was ever doing this? Was I the first one? And I believe I was, if I think back to where I signed my signature, I think I was the first one to mm. sign it for her. Mm. I don't know what it was, but something showed that I did the right thing at the right time in the right way for her. Mm. and caused her to say those words and caused me to have that very same boomerang effect of mm. excitement. Mm. 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 Yes, the when people say joy is contagious, there's this is the evidence on like the the physiological level. It literally is contagious. Your your system picked it up from her. Yes, absolutely. Mm. I've got a chapter in here about the neuroscience because I thought it was important for people to know that this isn't just a nice thing to do. That there's um, neuroscience. There's there's biological roots to it. There's reasons that. Mm we get that feeling and they get that feeling. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Mm. So Howard, as you look ahead, um, I mean, you're just clearly such a generous, optimistic, kind hearted human. And boy, do I wish like, like a part of me feels like you're a bit of a rare kind of species or something, right? Like I, I have a cynical part in me who's like, whew, like I wish we had more Howards in the world and and more Connies and more of all the many other amazing people that you've presenced in, in your stories. Um, but part of me is worried like that the road ahead is, is, a, is a tough one and a hard one uh, collectively. And I just wonder how you hold that that tension and, and how you're like, what are you, Howard, personally and or what are you hoping for collectively, organizationally, politically, and whatever way feels right for you to share in the spirit of this kind of journey that you're inviting people into, the journey of, of being someone who's willing to make another person's day? I would love, Andy, to see this take off as a movement as a way for more and more people to realize 
how much better we off we can all be by looking on the sunny side, by finding and doing the small things that people take. You know, signing a petition, wearing a t-shirt, really? Those things can make someone stay? Have you ever been on a flight, probably before the pandemic, where someone needed help with a suitcase getting it into the overhead mm. and you helped them? That could make their day. Mm. Have you ever smiled at someone who looked lost in thought? A smile can make their day. Have you ever gone online to social media and commented on a post, either because you really liked it or because you think they needed a boost? That can make someone's day. There's so many simple ways to do this. And I came up with this model I call the VIP model. Mm. Because who doesn't want to feel like a VIP? Mm. Mm -hmm. And I just totally believe in my heart, in my soul, and even in my head, that if we can have more make someone stay moments go on, that the angst, anger, acrimony, whatever's going on in the world can start simmering down a little bit. Is it enough to end it? Boy, I'd love to say it was, but I don't think I, I could even go that far. But I certainly do think it's going to make and build the relationships mm. that we need with one another stronger, better, more caring. Mm. Mm. And we certainly need that in the world today. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if there's sort of a, a organizational or social an, a analog to what Connie and Phyllis went through, which is the sort of way in which, you know, I'm in touch with parts of me that that can look out at certain parts of our, our collective and go like, you know, and have a sort of like them, those people over there energy. And, and in a way I'm sort of prejudging them without actually knowing much of anything in the details, but, but the behaviors I'm seeing or the makes me retreat and react. And, and so then the question is like, well, what is that? What will it, how do we walk across that distance? And, um, uh, and I don't hear you saying it's easy, but I do hear you saying that it, that it's worth it. That if we can find a way to walk across those distances, yes. then at least we might then have space on which we can stand and, and be in dialogue together rather than simply be in, in violent opposition to each other. Right, right. Um, you know, we talked about sports at the beginning. Yeah. And yeah. it seems like, you know, if you're cheering for your favorite team, whatever, whoever it is, whatever it is, or your favorite Olympic athlete, you know, we're talking right now while the Winter Olympics are still going. Um, if, so you're cheering. If you're an American, you're cheering probably for the person from the USA. If you're from Germany or France or Brazil or wherever else, you're cheering for your people. But you're not asking the person who's cheering too. What's your political party? What do you do? Where do you stand? You're all together supporting mm. and coming together. And I think this is another way of coming together. Mm. Uh, that, that, to me, that's what it's all about. You know, you talked about me playing tuba. And during the pandemic, I've done a lot of solo tuba playing. <laughs> I bet. I well, one of the things I have done, which was really uh, joyous for me, was playing a few songs every day for my mom. Oh, she was she was alone in her apartment with her caregiver, but 
they couldn't go out when, when we were really locked down. Yeah. And I just played something and it kept my my chops in shape and I was able to do something. But, you know, the times that have come um, throughout where there have been breaks in the pandemic, when I've been able to play with other musicians, mm. what mm. a joy it is to make music with others. It really oh my is. God. Yeah. Yeah. And to even just, I had a chance just this week to go to my first in-person concert uh, and listening to music is a balm and a gift, but to, to feel the music, to actually like, you know, I had a really nice seat. I was a few rows from the stage. I could not only hear the drums, I could feel the sound vibrations in my body, you know, that like of the actual person hitting the drum and the watching their body move and the, and the harmony and rhythm of the other people. There's magic. There's a kind of magic in that. Absolutely. And there's a magic in that moment. And even yeah. if they get it on recording, right, it's a live and performance recording, um, which probably is, will sound great and everything else. But you being there, it's a different experience. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. I love that you have this musical identity. And I, and I can imagine that, um, you know, I don't know your mom and what she's going through, but I can imagine that that helped make her day to just have her son be there playing music is pretty special. So thanks for sharing that. Oh, you're welcome. Mm. Welcome. So I got to share another quick story um, that I've got in the book and, uh, you know, make someone stay isn't limited to, to you and I, to the pedestrians of this world, but one of uh, the greatest musicians, Yo-Yo Ma, classical musicians, Yo-Yo Ma, Mm -hmm. I love Yo-Yo Ma. What a, what a, warm and generous person he is, or certainly mm. seems to be. Mm. Well, and he he was. So um, this girl was a young cellist and got her mom to bring her and her brother down to Millennium Park in Chicago mm-hmm. to hear Yo-Yo Ma in concert. And um, they wouldn't let her go in because they said, well, all the seats are reserved. But she hmm. said, well, wait a second. They said, we can sit in seats that aren't taken. And they said, I'm sorry, all the seats are taken. And they're looking around saying, look at all these seats. People are coming and going, but they wouldn't allow them in. Hmm. So dejectedly, they left and went home. And she wrote a note. I can't remember on social media where she wrote, or her. I think her mother wrote. And someone from the Chicago Symphony Orchestra saw it and forwarded it to Yo-Yo Ma. Mm. Mm. What did he do? He sent her two CDs. He, first of all, personal note, apologizing that she couldn't get in to see him. Mm. He sent her two CDs that included the songs he performed, an autographed picture, and an invitation to meet the next time he was in town. Oh, my gosh. That's so sweet. <laughs> mm. Mm. You know, it doesn't take, and for him, what what did that take? He's probably got tons of CDs that he's happy to do and autograph and pictures to autograph. So that, that wasn't much effort on his part, but boy, did it turn a little girl who was um, probably feeling very uh, saddened and upset and certainly turned her around and made her day. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I hope she's had the chance to meet him or we'll get to. Um, I do too. That would be a special moment when it comes. Hmm. Yeah. So if I'm hearing this right now, Howard, what's, what's a, 
you know, what's your, your wisdom or invitation for how I might leave today with an orientation towards making someone stay? What does that look like? What's your advice or wisdom there? So I'm going to give you the very simplest thing you can do. And I talk about this in the book. And I say, after you hear this, don't read any further. Just go do it. Okay, nice. And here's all it takes. Thank someone who helped make your life. Mm. Think back to whether it's a teacher, a friend, a friend's parent, an uncle, maybe an early boss, maybe even maybe another friend. Who knows? But thank them. Mm. Mm. And tell them how much they've made your life. Mm. Mm. Arlene, my friend Arlene got this from one of her accounting students. And he sent a note to her saying that her class so inspired him. He's become a successful accountant and loves his career. Mm. Boy, did that make her day. Mm. So you can send a note. You can email a note. You can text a note. You can make a phone call. You can go take them to lunch, whatever you want to do. But think of someone who has helped make your life Mm. Mm. and thank them. Mm. There's no statute of limitations. I'm saying thank you. It really isn't. Yeah. Wow. Beautiful. Thank you for that. I can think of a few people um, who I have thanked and also others who, oh, I haven't. And both of them, there's no statute of limitations on saying thank you more than once also. So. That's yeah. true. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Wonderful. Well, well, we're approaching our time boundary here, Howard. And I wonder if, uh, I think you brought something to close us out with. Is that right? A quote? I did. Um, and it's a quote from someone who I so admire. Her name is Frances Hesselbein. And the forward to my book was written by Marshall Goldsmith, the great mm-hmm. management thinker, consultant, and executive coach. Mm-hmm. And Francis is one of his heroes. Mm. And Francis has done so many wonderful things. One of the things she did was she re, she saved the Girl Scouts. They're going uh, about to go under. And she came back and turned that organization completely around mm. to the fact that they're a big success today. Yeah. And and certainly my Thin Mints appreciate that. Oh, my goodness. Yep. I've got the Thin Mints are gone. I still have some peanut butter cookies upstairs. And oh, it looks like just by, as an aside, it looks like they're also continuing to evolve as an organization. And yes, they are. It's really yes, neat to so, see. Yeah. yeah. I'm very big in, in scouting. I work with the Boy Scouts, but I love the Girl Scouts. I invite them to many of the events I put on. So Frances, um, she turned around the Girl Scouts. She did some amazing leadership work. Um, actually, and she got to the Girl Scouts as a scout leader because there was mm. none in the community. Mm. And so she decided to become a scout leader. So she was the first CEO of the Girl Scouts of the USA who came from just being a troop leader. Oh, wow. That's neat. So, so plenty on Francis. She's 105 years old and she still continues to work and make an impact. <laughs> Unbelievable. So her favorite saying is from George Bernard Shaw. Mm. And I'm going to read this because this is what's in my soul too. Mm. Mm. I am of the opinion that my life belongs to the community. And as long as I live, it is my privilege to do whatever I can. I want to be 
thoroughly used up when I die. For the harder I work, the more I live. Life is no brief candle to me. It is sort of a splendid torch, which I have got hold of for a moment, and I want to make it burn as brightly as possible before handing it on to future generations. Mm. 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 Thank you, Howard. That is so beautiful. What a, what a, what a way to relate to life into our role in life. It's awesome. Mm. Thanks, Andy. Mm. Mm. It's been a joy talking to you. And, you too. And to your listeners, we, we've talked, but this is an unscripted conversation. It sort of is just going with the flow and it's been so delightful exploring wonders with you, Andy. Thank you hey, so much. Thank you, Howard. Yeah, it's been right back at you. It's been a real treat. Thanks for what you stand for. If people want to find out more about your work, where should they go? Best place to do is go to my website, Howard H. Prager, P-R-A-G-E-R.com. They can sign up for my mailing list, get a free chapter of the book, even get some sample forms to be able to track how they're doing with Make Someone's Day. And I'd love to hear from you as well. Mm. Mm. Cheers. Okay, thanks everyone for listening in. Thanks, Howard, for sharing your gifts today. Looking forward to more to come. Thanks for tuning in to The Wonder Dome. This podcast was produced by me, Andy Cahill, with support from Kelly Serquois, and audio editing services from John Nolan at Middle Mountain Studios. The theme song was written and performed by Todd Marston. You can find The Wonder Dome wherever pods are casted. If you dig what we're doing here, please share widely, subscribe, and give us some love in the review boards. And if you feel called to support this humble offering to the world, while also making an even greater impact in the lives of others, consider becoming a monthly supporter. Not only will you help me keep the lights on, and keep this show going for as long as I'm able. But 30% of all member contributions go directly in support of causes like the Black Lives Matter movement, the United Nations Refugee Agency, and the National Resources Defense Council. You can find out more at my website, mindfulcreative.coach, where you can also sign up for my newsletter, learn about my transformational coaching work, and get plugged into exclusive offers and community happenings. In the meantime, I'm wishing you a life of purpose, power, and presence. We need you now, more than ever.